Let us pray. <clears throat> May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again. I look forward to this. Appreciate John keeping me from getting too rusty in my retirement. The message today is uh, from the prophet Habakkuk. And I wonder if this is the first sermon you have ever heard from Habakkuk. I wonder if for some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard the name of the prophet Habakkuk. It's one of those books of the Bible in the Old Testament that's really easy to miss because it's just about three pages, three chapters. But even though it's a small book, it's tackling a really big subject, a hard subject. And the issue that Habakkuk is taking on is what happens when things are so bad around us or we're going through something so difficult that we feel we can't see no hope. It's overwhelming. And, and one of the questions that a person of faith will have is, where are you, God? How come you don't answer my prayer? I, I can't make any sense out of this at all. It's as if you're in a dark, long tunnel. And because this is a common experience in life, my guess is that there may be some of you who are experiencing this now, and I'll bet most of you have experienced this at one time or another. I thought of a, a long, dark tunnel because a number of years ago, I was on a bike trail near Sparta, Wisconsin, which is, uses an old railroad bed that once wound through all of that hill country and wooded areas. And at one point, there's a tunnel there with at least a quarter mile long tunnel, no lights. We had no lights on our bikes either. And so I thought, oh, this is really going to be interesting. So as I went through, you know, for a while, you can start seeing that you can see the trail because of the light you're coming from. But once you get deep into it, you can't see anything except the light at the end of the tunnel. And that starts to look more like a bright star in outer space. And it's a bit disorienting, really. You get off your bikes, needless to say, and there as you walk step by step, you're trying to be stay in the middle of the, of the bed, of the trail, but you can't see the walls, and so you go very, very slowly, and it was at that point that I finally really understood that phrase, light at the end of the tunnel, and I thought to myself, I don't think I'd even get in this tunnel if I didn't see that light, because it's spooky. It's like Habakkuk 
is in a tunnel, only there's no light. Many of you have um, experienced this. I remember when I was playing with, a, with a, um, a title, what happens if you can't see a light at the end of the tunnel, somebody quipped, well, don't get in the tunnel. But life dishes them out, doesn't it? Tragedy strikes and a child dies, and you don't know if you can ever be happy again. You're dealing with an addiction in the family, and it seems hopeless. I think of the refugees that got caught in the Civil War in Syria, and now they're barely surviving in a refugee camp with no seeming hope for their future. The dark tunnel that Habakkuk was in was that he saw a godless, violent, powerful army, destroy the holy city of Jerusalem, hack to pieces the sacred temple, burn it, murder many of the citizens, and cart off everything of value, including its best leaders, to an exile in Babylon. And he's absolutely devastated. As a man of God and as a prophet of God, that's why he starts out the book of Habakkuk. And tell me if you hear a little anger in this. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen and cry to you violence and you will not save? Life dishes these out, and people of faith are likely at some point in their lives to ask the question, how do I go through this long tunnel? Well, this morning, I would like us to look more closely at Habakkuk. Now, when, you, when this was read, you actually have part from chapter 1, part from chapter 2, and part from chapter 3, and it doesn't distinguish. So you may say, you think that that's the whole thing, but actually what I want you to notice is that what Habakkuk starts out with is not what he ends up with. That there's a phrase, take, there are phrases taken from chapter 1, from chapter 2, and from chapter 3, and you start to see a change happening in Habakkuk, which Christians and people of faith have found through the years to be true in these kinds of situations where there's no solution in sight. And you're having to live for who knows how long with a difficult situation. And so what I'd like to start off with is the first part. And in... Um, in the church, we call it a lament in the Bible. And a lament is where you kind of unload your pain and your anger and what it's like for you. Here's the question. What if you're going to God in prayer and things seem overwhelming to you 
and you're actually pretty angry at God, and you're feeling pretty hopeless, is that an acceptable prayer? Or are we supposed to pretend like we're actually fine, like most of the time we do in society? We don't figure anybody wants to know, so they say, hey, how you doing? Oh, just great. Inside, you might be dying. In the Bible, the lament tells us, no, tell it like it is. Come to God in prayer and say exactly what you feel. And there's an important reason why. You can't deal with a situation if you can't get at the truth. And you're never going to be able to trust a God that can't accept you as you are. And so, Habakkuk starts his oracle with anger and bitterness and a lament. You may ask yourself the question, well, why don't we have laments in church? Actually, they're quite common in the Bible. I think that's because we want to be joyful. And, and maybe we ought to more often. Maybe if a, as a community we were going through a really, really hard time, it might be helpful to say one of the many psalms that are laments. Did you know that Jesus quoted a lament psalm when he was on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a real human cry. And uh, for those of you who like history, I happen to. I've noticed that when you get into totalitarian regimes, evil empires really like, I think of Stalin's Russia or Hitler's Germany, you can't tell the truth. They used to say in Russia, when millions of people were disappearing to the secret place, the only thing you dared to do was cry under your covers. Because what they want art to be is to show the heroic, we're moving forward, we're so glad to be in this regime, and that's one of the reasons that nobody's going to put the stuff that was approved by Russia in those times in an art museum because it's crap. It doesn't speak to the human soul. True artists express what's really going on. And one of my favorite composers, Dmitry Shostakovich, is one of those where he, he was censored by the authorities because he was a great musician, but he, 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 he wanted to express what was in the people, this anguish, this fear. And what he was able to do was put enough heroic stuff in there to satisfy the censors. But if you've ever listened to his symphonies, they speak of this longing for love and for justice. And it is said that when he did his Leningrad symphony, people half starving stood up after the symphony and applauded for an hour and a half. Because finally there was somebody expressing what was truth. When we meet God, we meet a God of light and a truth and a love who will accept us where we are. That's the first part of chapter 1, the lament. 
But you can't stay in a lament. You know this too. You, you can say only so much of it, but at the end of the day, you need some hope. And so in chapter 2, Habakkuk makes a choice. He's going to choose to look for what God may send. And so he says, and you don't have this in the scripture, I'm going to climb up to the wall and I'm going to look out and look for a messenger who may be coming. Now that would make sense in that time because there are no text messages or anything. And I want to hear what God will say. And then you hear God's reply. And here we picked it up with the children's sermon where God was saying, um, the message is going to come. The revelation will come, but it may linger. And you may have to wait for it. And you will need to live by faith that my promise will be true, even if you can't see it now. In a way, this promise of God, he's saying to Habakkuk, I want you to see a light at the end of the tunnel through faith, even if you can't see it. And it's true. It took 70 years for them to come back from exile and start rebuilding the Jerusalem and the temple. But God's revelation was even bigger than that. We talk about it coming in Jesus, and we talk about the horizon of eternity. So by the time we get to chapter 3, it seems as though Habakkuk has accepted the fact that right now he's living in a situation he can't change, and it's a tough situation. But he believes and trusts that God in the future is going to work through this. And so now, here's how he says it. And when you read scripture, it's very, very easy to um, wonder what they're saying because they like to put it in poetry. So I want, I want to read this, what, what he's saying, because here's what he's saying. At the first part, he's saying, I accept the fact that I may look around and see no signs of hope. Here's how he puts it. Though the fig tree does not blossom, there's no fruit on the vine. Though the produce of the olive fails, and the, flocks, the fields yield no food, and though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls, if you're a farmer, that would be pretty upsetting. Yet. That word yet is really important in scripture. Yet. Now here's the surprise. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in God my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. For I will go to the heights. We may ask, how can this be? How can it be that in the surprise when, when things are so tough and you've been angry and you've been uh, scared 
that you can find in this that God's presence is so with you that even though the situation doesn't change, for the time being at least, you change. And you come to know God better. And you find that there's a joy in your relationship with God, even though you're undergoing all of these trials. This is one of the mysteries of faith, incidentally, and it's something that I thought an old preacher named Emerson Fosick, Harry Emerson Fosick, had in a great little line when he said that a small boy asked, why are all the vitamins in spinach and not in ice cream where they ought to be? And he said, I don't know. You'll have to ask God that. But vitamins are in spinach, and God is in every wilderness. Perhaps we could paraphrase that tunnel. One of my seminary teachers looked back over his life, and he said, in my experience, whatever has profoundly shaken or reshaped me have been one of those things I would never have wanted to happen in the first place. I would have tried to escape from them. What that says to me is this. I may not feel that God is around all the time or understand him at all. He may actually be doing his greatest work in me. Now, the reason this is so important, I think, is because we live in a world in which there's lots of things that we can't solve easily. And lots of us have to live with things that are very difficult. Or we have to take long roads and hope that something will change. And actually, it's the people of faith who keep on that road and are able to keep on the road that end up helping to change some of these situations. I was reading in my devotional this, this week about a black woman by the name, she named herself Sojourner Truth. You ever heard of her? Uh, her name originally was Isabella. She, she grew up a, a black slave, uneducated, got her freedom. She had watched nine of her siblings get sold off to slavery, as she did. One of her masters beat her every day. The one thing that she remembered from her mother is her mother said, Call to God, and he will help you. And so she developed a, a relationship, a conversation with God. And at one point in her life, she felt a call from God to walk around, at this time, the North, because slavery was still an institution in the South, and preach against slavery. And so she did, and she named herself Sojourner Truth, hence the word sojourner. By the time she died, she was one of the most influential women in America of that century. But here's, here's one of the things that I think showed that close relationship with God that she had that sustained her. She was one time preaching or speaking at an event in which there was another famous ex-slave who, who was a man who had talked many times to Abraham Lincoln later on. His name was Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass was discouraged, she could tell. And so he ended his speech on a note of discouragement. 
And Sojourner Truth, who wasn't bashful, interrupted him and yelled for everybody to hear, Frederick, is God dead? That's the faith she had. Conviction that the slavery institution would end, even though you couldn't see the evidence. And she's one of the people that was able to carry that vision forward. In many ways, and here's where I'm going with this, God strengthens us and gives us what is a mystery when we go through tough times and we learn to trust God and God's promises. And it will be you who sometimes are carrying the hope and the love and the conviction through some dark tunnels that will end up making all the difference for somebody else or maybe for you. And God will give you that strength, not because you necessarily see the future, but because day by day, step by step, you're living in that relationship with God. So, there's a little sermon from Habakkuk. And you may ask, well, I can see why we haven't heard from that. No, you may ask, why is this here on Advent? And I think it's actually a great text. Because you know, this Christmas story is a very sweet and gentle story, part of it. But you know what? When Christ comes to be with us as a human being, a revelation of God, when God comes to be part of our lives in the midst of our darkest moments as well as our bright ones, sometimes making the most impact on us in the dark moments, we realize that the Christmas message is not only sweet and gentle, but it's made of steel. It's the power that moves us into light and truth in a world that oftentimes is about cover-up and lies. And that's the truth that God wants to proclaim and invites us to believe. That's what we look forward to at Christmas, and we remember that as Christians, we not only talk about day by day with God, we not only talk about Christ coming, we look across the horizon of eternity and take the long view in the faith of what God is doing. Amen.